Brian. How you doing today? Well, I'm, you know, I don't even know what to say about our, our guest today. It's, uh, it takes us in a different direction. How's that? <laughs> it definitely does. And uh, you're talking about Joseph Gonzalez and... He's a movement detective, um, kind of a personal trainer, what you will. But his the reason why I wanted to bring him on the show is just the way he thinks and his thought process is very unique. And the way he thinks of the human body, um, not many people can go from being um, studying engineering at MIT to personal training to, to being a movement detective, as he calls himself. Well, as we got into the conversation, it became pretty clear how all of those different facets got fused together. <laughs> he's, he's found room to blend all of that into uh, his, his own identity and his own approach with his practice. Yeah, and I think I think our listeners can enjoy it. Where it's not quite as heavy on the leadership, but I definitely you want to uh, stay and listen because it's it's a great conversation. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And you know, leadership, technology—I mean, those things in broad strokes. I think you still find all of that in our conversation today, even if it's just as simple as, uh, you know, as as a leader, how do you find uh, the the best uh, physical uh, sort of working environment for your staff, and you know, ensure that they're not causing more problems for themselves physiologically uh, as they're getting work done for you. Yeah, and with that, I guess we'll just uh, let our folks, our listeners get on, listen to the show. Sounds great. All right, perfect. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. And uh, today we are thrilled to be joined by special guest Joseph Gonzalez, uh, who is a motor skills coach from Mejor Strength. And uh, welcome, Joseph. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure thing. So uh, motor skills coach is the the title that, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, Motor skills coach (laughs) is the, kind of jump right into it. It's the title that I use, but a lot of people don't know what that really means. I've gotten like, hey, do you work with motorcycles? Like, is that kind of what you do? So in recent months, I flipped to uh, the movement detective. And mm-hmm. what I am is a personal trainer that works exclusively on posture and movement dysfunction. So neck, shoulder, lower back, hip, knee issues, that kind of thing. If you've been around the block, you've seen a few people and no one can really help you, I might be the guy for you. That's very interesting. Well, particularly given that uh, in you know fields like Nick and I have worked in for uh, a good chunk of our careers. Uh, we spend a lot of time sitting, uh, probably with the worst possible posture, uh, <laughs> hunched over any variety of screens, you know, of sure. different sizes. Uh, so I remember, you know, kind of back in the day, you know, getting like week one onboarding at a company, you know, you typically had someone from your risk control division or something come and give you an ergonomic assessment and you know, measure your, measure your chair height to your, you know, keyboard posture and all that stuff. So, so how is what you're doing different from what, uh, you know, uh, a, a common office worker might expect from, expect from something like an ergo assessment? Sure. So uh, one of the things is that we or I look at the body from a structural perspective. So how are the bones moving with respect to one another? How are the joints structured? Uh, If you look at it from an interface perspective, how do the joints relate to one another? So if you look at it from that way, there are only a handful of strategies the human body should be using in order to breathe and to manage gravitational forces, to stand, to move. 
So that's the first thing. From a mechanics perspective, I'm just looking at it from an engineering uh, background. From a much deeper layer, the reason why you you hear about these muscle activation techniques, releasing uh, muscles, stretching, strengthening, uh, all that stuff, that's still working at the level of structure. But mm-hmm. movement is created in the brain. So in your cerebellum, we create these prediction models because we never interact with our environment in real time. They're always on a buffer. So prediction is one of the most important things for us in terms of navigating our environment, like the cup of coffee that you have in the morning. By the time you have the conscious thought to pick up and drink the cup of coffee, before the conscious thought hits, signals have already been sent out, meaning there's a, there's a prediction model for that movement, for that paradigm. And that's really where I, I like to intervene and interrupt that process. I help people by updating their prediction models. So the brain looks for specific data points, specific sensory input. And I introduced people how they can better, how they can become better at acquiring all of that data. And then from there, move. You don't sound like any personal trainer I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, it's starting to become clear, like you anticipated my question about how did a graduate from MIT, you know, the mechanical engineering background, make the uh, crossover into personal coaching. But you just gave me a big chunk of the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was, it was uh, <laughs> I was at another podcast and I said like, hey, you know, the, the posture of fear or whatever, whatever. And one of the comments on that LinkedIn post was like, okay, wow, you really went into the neurology and all the brain stuff way deeper than I thought you were going to. It's the only way to do it. No, I like that. And you, you recently did a post about tech neck. Um, and as, as you know, people are constantly working at computers constantly, uh, you know, like what is tech neck and what, what can we do to kind of avoid it? So there's, there's two, two things. There's two parts to that response. Technic is just the simple forward head posture that you get, but it's on top of this little hunched over thing because we're all on our keyboards doing this, right? Especially mm-hmm. if you have an Apple computer because they're designed, makes no sense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a MacBook, but yeah. <laughs> but let Don't me get us started on that keyboard, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's basically this forward head posture, but I think everyone focuses on the forward head posture and they neglect, well, what's this forward head posture stacked on top of? When we breathe, when most of us breathe, we translate our ribcage forward. So we have this forward head stacked on top of a forward ribcage. And it's the forward ribcage that we should really be concerned about. So we can work on that by uh, exercises that involve a prolonged exhale, getting your obliques to pull your ribcage back. Uh, We can work on this by teaching people how to move their shoulder blades because shoulder blade and collarbone position have a huge effect on tension in the neck. And then, of course, don't stare at your screen the whole day. See if you can look at something uh, far away in the distance. Come back and look at something that's not a screen. I'm looking at my microphone right now. And alternate between depth perception and something that's more uh, closer to you. So there are a few things that can come in. It's not just about this and say, oh, tuck your chin, sit up straight. It's not about that. Because if we spend most of our day just reading stuff on the screen, that hypervigilance, that hyperfocus will actually lead to an upregulation in our vestibular or balance system. And that's Mm. going to cause us to fire up global extension muscles, i.e. neck extensors, your lats, your lumbar erectors, your quads, your calves. So just by reading stuff, like I'm reading, you know, Nick, Ryan, I'm reading your names on my screen. By doing that for like several hours a day, 
I am firing up muscles without even trying to like work or activate them. These are defense mechanisms. So what I'm hearing from you is that's not like a mini workout. It's no. actually going the opposite direction <laughs> yeah. of what you're looking for. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, what I tell people is that you don't come to me for a workout. Like if you're trying to lose some weight or get ready for a trip to Bali, go see somebody else. You come to me with a problem and we're going to spend most of the session troubleshooting one or two movements. And that's it. Wow. That's pretty outstanding. I, you know, as you're talking about the tech neck, I was sitting there thinking about what my day is normally. You know, mm -hmm. sitting there programming. I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of it, you know, coming from an engineering background, working with AutoCAD and all that stuff and like being hunched <laughs> over. <laughs> um, so like, what can people do? Like I, you hear all this stuff about standing desk now and sitting is the new smoking. Sure. Um, so like, what are some things that people can do to kind of make sure they're they're not in that technique i know you went over like focusing in different directions but it's like getting up walking around moving maybe like once an hour that like works. an ideal sure. thing to do or yeah uh so getting up and moving is of course it's like the the default statement that like it's a safety response that i think every single person can get behind that's in my get behind this in my industry but i think if we were to take it a little bit further and give you some more minutia of of understanding what what that entails so if you're sitting at a computer for most of the day, you want to make sure that you can maintain heel contact with the floor. So like mm -hmm. if the chair is so high that your toes, like you're dangling because you're, you know, on the shorter end of the spectrum, raising my hand here. <laughs> um, if you're on the shorter end of the spectrum, you have to be able to feel heels on the ground. Like that's a huge, huge contact point for the brain. It needs that. So it's not even about like, hey, it's a perfect 90 degrees. And I don't care about math. You know, it doesn't matter. It's about what the brain is perceiving. So can you feel heels? Now, if you get heels, you can do this one more thing. Without moving your feet, dig your heels down and back on the ground. And you should start to feel the back of your legs, your hamstrings start to activate. And this actually starts to shift your weight back. So too many people say, stretch your hamstrings. I am the anti-stretching crowd here. <laughs> Never stretch your hamstrings. You don't have tight hamstrings. Really? We, can, we can go into why in a bit. But most people don't know how to leverage the structures we already have to do the job they're supposed to. We feel tightness or a restriction and we're like, hey, this no good doesn't feel great. And so you're like, all right, well, how do I get more of it? I can stretch. And it's kind of like my mentor has this phrase where he likes to say it's like stretching is like you're starting to write something in the middle of a piece of paper and then eventually you run out of room. Stretching is the idea that you're going to try to pull on the bottom of the paper to get more paper. You can't. You're done. You didn't start at the beginning. So mm -hmm. now that's why you ran out of range and you're, you're trying to force past structures. You're trying to open hips. You're trying to stretch hamstrings. Well, guess what? They're already at the, at the end of the range of motion. So all you're doing is now bashing into structure. All right. Wait, did I answer the question? We got into a little bit of it, but I think I went somewhere else with it. You know, I got lost trying to dig my heels into the floor uh, as you were walking through that. Yeah. So, yeah. Heel, heel contact is kind of a big deal. Uh, going back to the original question, heel contact is a big deal. When you're walking, don't try to change your gait, but just notice when you get up for your walk, does your sternum, does your chest rotate from side to side? If you kind of just have this robot like going somewhere, um, you're behind uh, you're behind the starting line, and you need to figure out how to unstuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, um, I uh, 
my son's a competitive athlete and in the mornings we always get up and the first thing we do is some some neck uh back stretches and uh you know touching our toes mm -hmm. so that that helps him because he uh you know even though he's he's young he uh he tends not to stretch and just jumps right into things um yeah. you know because he's he's kind of going all day too but then you know i start thinking about uh you know he's he's a sixth grader he's uh on a chromebook you know i mean mm -hmm. god, god forbid kids have you know, books that actually have pages that you turn in it, you know, now you've got <laughs> yeah, yeah. another device um, that, uh, that he's associated with. So, you know, it was, it was more recently that he started complaining of having, you know, what I interpreted to be kind of symptomatic of attention headache, which is crazy for yeah. a kid. Yeah. Right. But then as we started trying to analyze it, you know, being my own movement detective, uh, started to, <laughs> to realize, you know, well, he's never stretching and he's, uh, you know, for a kid his age, not to be able to bend over and touch his toes. Right. And he's athletic. I mean, he's a, you know, he's in great shape. So it's, it's one of those things that made me realize, okay, we, we've got to break him from the pattern of just, you know, he goes and does sports activities. He comes back, he's sitting at a desk, uh, you know, and started making me think, well, that's kind of like my routine. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I like go to the gym for an hour and come back. And other than that, I'm sitting at a desk all day unless I get up to go get another coffee or a glass of water. Yeah. So, uh, so this can't be a unique situation, right? In fact, I, I would guess with, um, you know, kids kind of in the demographic of what I just described, you're probably seeing more and more of, uh, that type of, um, you know, potential candidate for uh, your own movement detection. Is that sure. yeah. kind of accurate? You're getting a lot of things that uh, tend to compound over two demands that our bodies and our brain have day to day. And let's say if you're sitting in front of a, a computer screen or you're in a classroom and then you get to move around for a little bit, the thing that you're always doing throughout all of those activities, you're breathing. And you have to deal with the constant uh, onslaught of gravity, right? So it's managing those two things and then say, all right, you can't do that square one, but now you have to pay attention in class and your performance is being graded, right? So you're getting feedback. There's now pressure to perform well. You don't want to screw up. Now there's fear. What do we do when we're afraid? Most of us, like if I were to slam uh, on, the, on, the, on the bar, if we're having a drink, I slam my hand on the bar and I don't tell you about it. You do this extension thing. Like Nick, as a fighter, you realize so when you someone startles you, you go up here, right? Yeah. You respond to yep. response. So extension is to try to make us bigger, to ward off predators. So it's a fear response. But it's also, if you look at it, it's like say, how do they want us to lift weights? Athletic posture, arch your back. So we are training a pattern or a, a posture of fear in order to manage gravity, weights, pressure, demand, right? So whatever activity that we're doing, we still have to deal with breathing and gravity. And it's, it's because if we're staring at a screen or we have pressure from our teacher to do well or work, if we work on commission, we need that next sale, right? We mm -hmm. need to pay bills at the end of the month. So whatever pressure we have puts us greater into this extension pattern and now neck tension, migraine headaches, lower back issues, torsion in the knee, right? Mm -hmm. All of these things now are happening because we are making ourselves larger, but in order to do this, we are losing the ability to shift into our hips and rotate. 
right? You ever see the big, strong weightlifters? They look like they're like, oh, I can't, I can't move around. And they're kind of like waddling <laughs> everywhere, right? I used to be one, full disclosure, right? <laughs> I can't waddle around. Well, who is the guy in the company that you're going to rely on when, when stuff hits the fan? It's the guy that can change and adapt, right? Mm-hmm. It's the guy that can like say, hey, this is now the new, uh, the new stratagem for how we're going to apply X, Y, and Z. And like, all right, cool. We're going to figure it out. Like you're going to rely on the guy that can adapt and that can change. But if somebody that's like so fear ridden and they're trying to uh, figure out how to interpret this new data, like, all right, well, I don't know how I'm going to pay bills for the end of the month. I don't know how I'm going to get Jimmy into the after school art program for somebody that's, that's, that's trying to figure out all of these other things and all these other factors. Now you dump them. Hey, I want you to do your job differently. They're like, I can't like they spasm, they freak out, they lock up, they tense. You can't adapt. What I teach people how to do is I teach people how to adapt and reframe how to move in their environment. And that's the thing that people just are not taught. Personal trainers are not taught how to do this in their continuing education programs. Physical therapists never learned this in school. Chiropractors take your agency away from you and they adjust your bony positions. They don't teach Mm -hmm. you how to do it on your own. So all of these things are not integrated because a lot of these people only learn about biomechanics. Nobody is digging into neuroscience, not with any real seriousness. And then even if they do, they're not taking into into consideration the emotional component. So they're not delving into psychoanalysis. How is human behavior patterned? Because there are some things that within that 12 to 18 month uh, threshold, once it's established, can never be changed. You can build stuff on top of that behavior, but you're not you're not changing the the template for how that person acts. Wow. So, you know, I'm a little curious how you arrived <laughs> at all of this. I was like, I'm waiting I, I for just, this question. It's a question I always get. I, you know, I've, I've heard that this is not what you're typically going to get from, you know, any other kind of movement therapist or your personal trainer. And the only thing that I've ever heard that sounds sort of analogous to some of what you're talking about is uh, structural integration, right? Ida, Ida Rolf. Uh, okay, the, okay. The, the rolfing technique. So, uh, uh, cause you mentioned gravity a lot and that's kind of a rolfing sort of, you know, buzz term as well. So, and I'm curious, where does, uh, where does this kind of all fuse together for you? That's a very good question. Uh, I'm going to give you a ridiculously short synopsis of the journey. Cause I think all the pieces matter. <laughs> okay. Background, uh, undergraduate, in mechanical engineering and then i switched to finance after thermodynamics wiped out two-thirds of my year 2005. (laughs) my best job offer was in the midwest or remain unemployed in new york city i chose to do the fiscally responsible thing and i returned to manhattan um i bounced around i founded a t-shirt company with another fraternity brother from rochester this is important because i had to do the customer facing side of customer service when a shirt order didn't get put out on time i had to deal with the yelling customer cool Mm -hmm. um i figured out how how to scale that in a way like i didn't have to go and figure out new designs and sell it to people i just looked for people that already had the demand for t-shirts every single month and i'm like all right here fill that take care of it did well hated it like it didn't (laughs) <laughs> MIT, right? Like I need to be intellectually stimulated. Cool. I started doing martial arts, uh, Chinese martial arts. I fell into that for some reason. And I was studying with this guy for about four years. And he said, why don't you go and be a personal trainer? That way you can still you know, earn somebody on the side and still have the, the time to train with, with us. It sounded good. 
So at this point, I had already lost a couple of pounds from like you know engineering uh, undergrad. So I put on like maybe like sixty pounds as a as a as a course two major at MIT, and <laughs> I started doing you know lifting weight and I started doing a lot of research. So by the time I decided to become a trainer, I had a decent amount of corrective exercise knowledge in my head. Like I knew some of the uh, certifications that I was eventually going to go after, like three years down the line. And in my first session at New York Sports Club, I helped a guy with bad knees, right? Quotation marks. And all of the trainers stopped what they were doing during my session. And they just started like a little mini circle around me. Like it was wide enough that like my client couldn't notice it, but I saw it. So I wrapped mm-hmm. up the session. The guy left. And Larry, I remember Larry's like a big hulking dude. Larry walks up to me. He's like, yo, yo how long you been training people? And I'm like, and I'm like yeah, that's exactly what he sounded like. And I was like, uh, this is my first session ever. And he's like, hey, you sound like you've been doing this for a while. <laughs> so I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm onto something. Um, so I eventually left that location and went to another location. And I was still trying to learn and try to get better. And I realized at my next location, they were a little bit more educated. There was more continuing education was a thing for that location. But I quickly realized that it wasn't enough. Like to give you context, I had been a trainer now for about a year, maybe about two years at this point. They put me in charge of continuing education at that gym. So I was teaching trainers that were 15, 20 year veterans how to do a deadlift. Wow. And you're like two years in, right? And I'm two, two years, years in the full journey. <laughs> so you can imagine how a lot of the older heads responded to that. <laughs> Yes, with with open welcome arms, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, and oh, and here's the thing: the 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 manager of that gym, the fitness manager of that gym, he would pay me. So there's like tiers of how you pay out trainers, like tier one, tier two, tier three, elite, master, whatever. He was paying me the highest tier in cash for that hour that I was training all the guys. <laughs> so they would look at me and they would like they, the guy would give me cash and they were like, "Who the hell is this kid? Why is he teaching us all this stuff?" Right. So I did that. I eventually left uh, left Crunch and started working in high-end boutique gyms, okay? So here's, here's the turning point, right? I was practicing Muay Thai, right? So I left my old martial arts teacher. I was practicing Muay Thai because I wanted to kick better. And I was warming up with one of my sparring partners, and we were going, you know, kick for kick. Mm-hmm. And I had been stretching my hip capsule on the right, and so my kicks were a lot faster. I was like, yay, power. Roundhouse kicked this dude in the pads. I saw his head whiplash back, and I was like, awesome. And then I heard pop in my right hip. And my my foot touched the ground, and I fell to the floor. And it was like one of those things where it's like like that when I try to put weight on it. Like I'm shaking right now with uh, with my hand to demo. And my friend was there, and he's a pretty good trainer and coach. And he, he coached me through some drills, and he's like, it got me enough so that I could walk out the door. Great. I had two mentors at that time. One was a prehab savant trainer in the city. He had his own studio down down in Union Square. And the other person is an internationally known teacher for for some kind of continuing education seminar series. So both of them assessed my hip and they both were like, hey, this is, it's just this, here's the assessment, here's the corrective exercise uh, regimen you'll be fine <laughs> right yeah you know confidence great yeah. so i did the drills for about a week and it was not okay 
nothing worked, nothing like the, the pain would subside for a little bit, but it wouldn't be anything consistently clear for me. Cool. I went to see six other people that year. The hip pain grew from just a nagging discomfort to like pulling yes. on my guys. Mm. So walking sucked. I couldn't do a push-up. I tried doing a front squat with just the bar. And after that front squatting fiasco for three reps, empty bar, I had to lay down in the gym office for two hours because I was wow. so out of it. Like standing up again after that, just like it, it, it gave me a head rush. Great. So I put on 40 pounds because I couldn't work out. I lost about half of my clientele because I was not a happy camper. I... um yeah, at that point, I left both of the facilities because these were the people that had the, the smartest people in New York, right? Some of the smartest mm -hmm. coaches in New York. And I said to myself, you guys don't have the answer. You guys don't understand. So if you guys don't have the answer, I'm leaving. I don't know where the answer is, but I can't stay here because I'm just going to be frustrated. So towards the end of that year, I reconnected with this guy I had ran into before. And I said, hey, would you mind showing me the stuff you were doing with your client the other day? it looks like it wouldn't piss off my hip. <laughs> and this guy is a six foot tall Marine from Shenzhen, China. And he says, sure, dude. <laughs> he assesses me on the table and he's like two minutes assessments. Like, all right, cool. This is what you got. Cool. He puts me into this drill on my side. He has me shift one of my hips forward. I start cramping my inner thigh on the right. And the, the right side is the, the side where I had the issue. And I'm like, it's cramping. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to not scream on the floor of that gym. And then he says, all right, do your neck like this, draw like this, eyes here, do this with your shoulder, do this with the other shoulder, uh, rotate this. And I'm like, I'm crying just holding the position. And he says, cool, breathe out. And I'm breathing out and I'm breathing out. And now my abs are cramping because I'm still breathing out. And he's like, all right, cool. He's poking me in my abs and he says, don't let this expand, breathe in. And like my eyes, I could feel them bugging out of my skull. And it's like the weirdest thing because I'm trying to like not let air move this part of me. And then air is moving this other part of my rib cage. And I'm, I don't know what the hell is going on. And he's like, all right, pretty good. Again. So he has me do three more breaths <laughs> like that. And like I feel stuff expanding. Like I don't know what's going on. I get up. And then I'm just like I'm in a little bit of a daze. Like we call it neurotoxing after the fact. But I'm in a little bit of a daze and I'm walking around and I can feel one – Pain's gone. So, yay. Two, my heels feel super heavy. Like, if I take a step, I feel like I'm out of an anime and then my, feet, my heel is just crushing through the ground. Yeah. Three, I can rotate through my torso. It's like the damnedest thing. If you've never felt that, like right now, <laughs> like on the screen, I'm just like bouncing around and like rotating my torso. Like, it felt like so easy to do. Like, oh my God, people are supposed to be able to do this. Fourth thing. Now, this is the thing that really messed me up. The walls of the gym in the, in the room looked like they had gotten pushed back further away. And I'm like, that's different. I've experienced the other stuff with other drills, but that's different. And I looked at Mike and I'm like, what was that? And he just looks at me straight face and he goes, neuroscience, walks away. Like, that's the answer, right? Like, that's, that's, that's good enough. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 come back. And I looked at him again. I asked him, I was like, hey, can, can you teach me that? Again, six foot tall, Chinese former Marine looks me dead in the eye and he says well how good do you want to be <laughs> and like that just completely screws me up like i had no idea what rabbit hole i was about to jump into 
And I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, can I do what you did? I want to do what you did. Can you, can you, can you explain to me why that happened? Why that worked? Like I was beside myself with incredulousness and he pulls out this textbook, this one principles of neuroscience. (laughs) This is not a small boy. (laughs) Oh man. It doesn't look like something you could breeze through on the subway. Negative. So he tosses that to me and he goes, oh, get to work. And that started my three and a half year mentorship. So the second time I had dinner with this dude, like at some like fried chicken place, this guy, he takes a placemat, he flips it over and he starts talking about the prediction models in the brain. So I talked about this a little bit before. So he's saying like, all right, well, this is how our brain creates patterns for movement. It has an idea. It has a program. We experience something. If the experience is close enough to the program, we store this and we get it for later. If there's enough of a failure, but not too much, if there's just enough of a window of failure, then we have to update the model. (laughs) And that's what we do. We allow people to fail when they're experiencing tasks or drills. And then it's through the, the contrast of the failure and the difference in execution that allows them to update their prediction models. So... I've, I spent days where I spent close to 14 hours next to this dude because I didn't have a lot of clients. Like everybody left. I was trying to figure stuff out. Like we would go and just eat like noodles and then he would explain some other aspect of the brain, like how most trainers, how some trainers can break down anatomy. <laughs> I keep it 100. I, I don't care. I keep it 1,000. Hey, how, no, no, no. I like, I like people who don't speak in absolutes, right? <laughs> how a lot of trainers can break down anatomy this guy can break down sections of the brain. Like you'll say, this is what this does. The prefrontal cortex, this does this, this does this, this does this. This is where the prediction models reside. This works with this in tandem, in series and in parallel. So there's stuff that's working on in the brain at the same time and there's no precedence or things that comes after. It's working concurrent. It's like uh, quantum. It's working mm-hmm. concurrently. So I'm constantly sitting down and I'm just like in awe of what this guy can piece together. And I think somewhere around a year and a half in, he said... You know, sometimes when we get people into the right position and they can't feel their muscles, they're doing it right, but they can't feel their muscles. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I have an answer. And I'm like, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't do that. <laughs> we need something before. So he's like, oh, right. Like he says that a lot. He's like, oh, right. Like I forget. Yeah. You guys are still thinking this way. And he says, what does he say? You have to look at the emotional component of things you have to look at psychoanalysis because now he's going into memory research and how does the how do we store and code and retrieve memories and he's like if we experience emotional trauma when we we're at, at in our developmental years that fractures this this process and so it's harder for us to actually perceive somatosensory or body data body information so now we're going into psychoanalysis and he's like, you know what? I'm going to go see this woman. She's called Mary. I'm going to go see Mary. You should see Mary too. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, my parents are Mexican. Like, no, <laughs> no, we, we, we don't see mental health professionals. Like my, my dad's primary uh, response to like something is hard in life or you got to figure something out was I want that like deal with it. Right. <laughs> but eventually it was, it was one of those things where I'm like, you know what? I caved and I said, let me go, let me go give it a shot. And that, that was about a year ago. The investment of going to see a psychoanalyst completely changed the game for me personally and professionally. Like now, it's a lot easier for people to resonate and feel that they can trust me 
I don't have to worry about what language am I using. I can be myself. I can be authentic. And people trust me as a result of how I choose to communicate. Like I can try to sit here and I can try to sound super, super smart and talk above things. And who cares? <laughs> like after a certain point of this conversation, once I got more comfortable, both of you guys to an extent should feel that you can trust me and that I know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> about, about what I do. Yeah. That's, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's mm -hmm. like, you may not know, you may not trust me to go drive you somewhere because I don't have a license, but you can trust <laughs> me with respect to what I do for a living. Right. And it's not me trying to impress you. It's just saying, this is my journey. This is what I do. This is what I pay attention to. These things are important. And so with Mike, it was a combination of those three things. So his name is Mike Zhao. He is a personal trainer based in New York City. And I was his second and last student. His first student is uh, Kento Kamiyama. And he is the only physical therapist in our little trio. But if I didn't tell you who was who, you would have a hard time figuring out who was the physical therapist. <laughs> so that is the full journey of how I came to be how I am. And the thing that really struck us apart was that I asked him, wait, if this is what I have to do for my reset or the drill that got me out of my hip issue, how does this affect how we train, how we move, how we do a lunge and a deadlift? Because what you're saying is very different from how we're classically taught to do these things. And he says, oh, yeah, that changes everything. You know, you can't go back to doing it the way you did before. That's going to mess you up. <laughs> and it's like these like earth shattering statements. And he's saying the sky is blue or something, you know? Right. So then I'm like, well, then how do we do a single leg deadlift? And he's like, oh. Grabs a kettlebell and he like he's figuring this out as he goes, but based on the principles that he's read, he's like, All right, cool, shift. So now, if I'm standing on my right leg, my right hip is like an iPhone's distance outside of my right heel. So when he says shift, he means shift. <laughs> and he says, This is the setup for unilateral stuff for one legged exercises, and then that takes it down like a whole new different lane of like we had to reinterpret how we and how we coach standing how we coach lunges, deadlifts, presses, rows, rotational movements. Like there is no other reference for how we teach movement out there on YouTube and magazines. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. and like, the the phrase, phrase coaching standing is not one that I've come across <laughs> before. <laughs> right, right. It's like, I'm going to teach you how to stand. What? <laughs> well, I liked you had that phrase at one time when I talked with you. You said people don't know how to slouch, right? Right, right. <laughs> Which I thought was real interesting. You're like, no, no, no. You just need to know how to slouch better. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, because uh, so picking up on that on that phrase, uh, the the reason I say that is because a lot of people have this rounded shoulders forward, right? Like that's the common mm -hmm. thing that everyone says. You got to fix your posture. And my contention is, how are you rounding your shoulders forward? Hmm? So if you can place your hand on your chest and you round your shoulder forward, most people, 99% of everyone listening to this podcast, is going to round by tightening up their pec. Mm. We don't want that because this muscle attaches to just one tip of your shoulder blade. So when you round like this, that shoulder blade on your back pops off and wings. It rotates. Mm -hmm. So we don't want that. The muscle down here, what I call the armpit muscle, because some people don't read anatomy books for a living. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so it's, if you've ever seen a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger when he does this like pose overhead, and he's yeah. got like these finger-like muscles down under his armpit, under his armpit, that's serratus. So mm -hmm. the job of that muscle is to also roll the shoulder blade forward. But when you use that muscle, you feel it under your armpit. You don't feel your pec firing up at all. So something as simple as that 
that's one of the first things I teach people how to do. So I teach people essentially how to round their shoulders forward. And if somebody listening will say like, what do you mean round the shoulders forward? I do that all the time. Right. But how do you accomplish that? That's, those <laughs> so, are the details that I, that I focus on. So talk to us a little bit about how people find you. You know, is, is it a similar story to what you described where they've kind of gone through like a series of other experts or therapists or, you know, and, and they're just kind of at wit's end and it's like, well, I've got to find someone who's got the most esoteric sounding kind of title that could be <laughs> working with me on movement Esoteric. <laughs> okay, tell me how Brian, you really you just feel. met him. Jeez. <laughs> I love it. It's great. You can trust me. You can trust me. Yes, I can definitely trust <laughs> famous uh, last words famous last words it's like yeah. it will only hurt a little right. um so no to, to answer your question it, it used to be a lot of referrals i used to get a lot of referrals from physical therapists and chiropractors until i started learning from from my mentor because then i started fixing people and so people wouldn't go back to them so then i lost all those referrals um you know it's patient-centric but eventually i started getting people from instagram so all of my remote clients I got from Instagram. Uh, and then I started paying attention to LinkedIn a lot more. So LinkedIn has actually been able to match the clients that I got from Instagram uh, in the last two and a half months where I spent a year on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's Instagram and doing a lot of live in-person networking events. So I started off doing this, the standard like free event, bright events, like, hey, meet other entrepreneurs and stuff. And then you go there and it's like a certain level of, of, of person attending the event. Uh, but for me, I like working with people in senior positions, like mm -hmm. leadership in the company executives, because they get it. They, they get the importance of what I do. So then I started finding better and more exclusive networking events where there's more of a premium to buy in and to attend. So it's no mm -hmm. longer a free thing. Now you actually got to gotta pony up a little bit to attend. That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I can see why you're, you're kind of geared towards leadership positions because I, I can tell you right now, I partially tore my LCL like two months ago. And at certain times when I was standing or sitting at my desk, that was the only thing I could think about. Right. I just wow. like couldn't clear my head right. It's like, okay, well, this is painful. Maybe I should shift instead of thinking about what I'm actually doing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the reason I came up with that uh, with the with the bio for uh, for a while. What was it? You ever got something stuck in your teeth? <laughs> right? right. Immediately, both of you just lit up, and it's like you can't get it out. You you have floss at your desk, and you try to eat a piece of bread to dislodge it. You're like, ah, nothing matters except getting that intruder out. And then I say, well, what if that's in your lower back, or your shoulder, mm -hmm. or your knee? It's like, it's not debilitating. It doesn't keep you from doing something but it's always there and you know it, right? So it's like, that's right. That right there is quality of life issue, right? You can still do stuff, but man, that, that takes away some of your attention and attention is a finite resource and that's mm -hmm. going to hurt your bottom line. That's great. So, you know, talk to us a little bit as you're engaging, you know, some of the uh, leadership roles. Is this, is this, you know, more of a, you know, how do I help you with your workforce? Is this more of a, you know, individuated uh, kind of a approach to, sure. you know, some of the, the therapy work that you do? So uh, a lot of it will come down to the individual. Because let's say if you have, like, the, even using my own example, when I had the hip issue, I lost half of my clientele. Why? Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't a pleasant person to be around. I did not have a high threshold of patience. 
So now imagine if you're in a leadership position, now morale is going to take a huge hit because you're just thinking about that medial knee issue. You're just thinking about that thing in your lower back. You don't have time to hear out someone who has a different opinion from yours that might actually be more beneficial to the company, but all you care about is your lower back and your knee. So now <laughs> that's going to hit the company and that's going to hit you poorly because then they're going to come back on review time and say, hey, wait, you were aware of this. Why did you choose to ignore so-and-so's advice? Right? Because mm-hmm. now your decisions mean more. They have more weight. So for someone like that, you have to take care of yourself. Uh, I also do uh, smaller workshops for people, like I cap it at 14, because with this level of nuance, you can't do it with a large group of people. But for mm-hmm. people that are generally interested and say like, hey, maybe individually we can't, uh, we can't all go out and work with you, but let's figure out a way to, to, to improve morale, community, and culture, because I have people pair up and coach each other. So that when I leave, everyone has a tangible skill set where they can at least troubleshoot some very common issues like lower back tension or like neck sticks, you know, like real low level stuff that a lot of people uh, still experience. What's the most common thing you see with your clients? Uh, The biggest thing, honestly, is lateralized lower back stiffness. So Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is like you have something in your right lower back or your left lower back and Immediately, I can tell this is a this is a, a a skill issue. It isn't something that's structural because they've already seen people. They've gotten imaging done, and it's not that. And the big issue with that is people cannot manage inhaling without arching their back in some way, and that's become a pattern that's just so ingrained in them that even if they try to stretch their back, they can still feel that throbbing tension. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it will be uh, just getting them to trust flexion or rounding their lumbar spine and then moving while remaining flexed. So that for the most part is the most common thing that I see. And then you get random neck, shoulder and, and, and foot issues. Knees are the second most common thing that I see. Like they'll describe <laughs> it as like a feathery sensation around their knee or when they fully straighten their leg, like it'll feel like a, like they'll feel like a, a shock, right? Mm-hmm. Or a pain or discomfort. But usually it's not all the time, like they don't trust putting weight on their legs, something like that, but they know there's nothing like damaged either. So they're like, what the hell? <laughs> I get it. Cause when I went to PT and I was just trying to describe how I, how I heard it, which, you know, doing jujitsu, you know, South American pajama wrestling, as I like to call it. Um, the PT guy just does, has no idea understanding what you're even talking about. Right. And you're like, okay, this is going to sound weird, but I had my legs wrapped around another man. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, does your wife but, know about this? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I get it. It's like, because <clears throat> instantly when I talked to you, I could tell that you're very aware you have, you have great body awareness, which most people I talk to don't really understand what that means. Um, so when you're going back to doing your breathing, I was like, oh, breath work. I stumbled on upon Wim Hof randomly years ago. Um, and I just thought he was just some crazy guy who took ice baths. Right, right. <laughs> but that's only part of what he does. Um, you know, his breath work leading up to the taking those ice, ba- ice baths is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we ran into him uh, quite a few years ago. I think I was doing, I was training with Ido Portal back then. So this was before all the neuroscience and like, you know, hashtag science. Uh, And I was trying to learn a handstand because I thought it would look great on my Instagram account. So (laughs) 
good reasons that's, to do that's anything. Why, that's, that's why I did it. I wanted I wanted to look like a badass doing a muscle up on the rings in the gym when everyone else was doing like <laughs> tricep kickbacks. I'm like, who is that guy? He's insane. Um, yeah, I just wanted attention. So <laughs> we found that with with Wim Hof, the one thing that I that I like about Wim Hof is that he does focus and he has a system for teaching it systematically. I love that about him. Mm-hmm. I think that people focus too much on the inhale without mm-hmm. getting an appropriate exhale. So I'm all for getting a longer inhale, but you have to use it within the context of having exhaled fully already. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest difference between uh, myself and someone like, like Wim Hof or someone who teaches the Wim Hof method is that we're looking at slightly different context of how we manage air pressure. But at the end of the day, it's like the big picture is, yes, you, you need to learn how to breathe better. <laughs> well, and that can even help relieve some stress too. Yeah, when you think sure. about it, I mean, I even do that with my son, and he's four, and I'm like, just breathe, just breathe, yeah. big, big breaths. Because I feel like people, I don't know, society at least here in the states, is I, people are shallow breathers for some reason. I don't, I don't know why they don't want to like make their chest bigger, you know, expand their bellies. It's always shallow breathing. Yeah. Well, technically, if you really want to get down into the weeds, if you breathe with your chest. Mm-hmm. you're extending and you're arching your thoracic spine. Mm-hmm. If you breathe with your belly, you're extending your lumbar spine. So both of those things are actually faulty if we're looking mm. at it from an efficiency perspective, right? So think about how we breathe. We're going to geek out and I'm going to bring both of you back to high school physics for a second, right? <laughs> Boyle's law with pressure, right? Mm-hmm. So gases travel from areas of higher air pressure to lower air pressure. When we inhale our diaphragm, contracts and it pulls on the bottom of the lungs to expand them so now we have an area of lower air pressure in our torso yay Mm -hmm. cool (laughs) so now most people stop there like oh yeah diaphragm contracting belly breathing chest breathing whatever more belly breathing than chest breathing is better what that's what's understood but here's the thing your lungs are not in your belly I'm just going to take take a second to repeat that because I really? might have just, <laughs> your lungs are not in your belly. <laughs> belly expansion does nothing except helps calm you down. Uh-huh. But when you breathe efficiently, breathing efficiently, done right, you can actually shut off a lot of uh, tension in the lumbar spine. A lot of those erectors are firing because you're trying to extend yourself to get air. So mm-hmm. what do we do? When we exhale, we'll feel a lot of tension in our lower abs, right? If you exhale enough, you're going to feel tension in your belly. Cool. What we tell people to do is maintain that air pressure in the lower abdomen because now air cannot go down there. That's a higher air, air, higher area of air pressure with respect to your lung cavity. So now you're bisecting your torso again. You're creating higher air pressure down below. So now your lungs can more authentically fill up with oxygen. I have never seen anyone else outside of Mike Kento and myself talk about it in that way. All right. Well, man, that's going to stick with me all day. You know, I mean, your lungs are not in your belly. We're we're giving that one away for free today, folks. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) My mentor would be proud. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) So, Tell, tell us what, uh, you know, for, for someone who has a desk job, they don't have a lot of opportunities for movement. For whatever reason, you know, they're not, uh, you know, terribly motivated to go out seeking someone to help coach them on their own sure. movement therapy. Uh, but they know that they've, they're, they're dealing with some kind of, you know, 
inherent tension mm -hmm. um, that they just can't seem to shake. What is one simple thing that they can do on a routine basis uh, to improve their sedentary, shackled to a desk, office worker kind of life? Because okay. I think that lifestyle describes an awful lot of that, It describes pretty much everyone, yeah, myself included. Um, so would you like something that they can do at their desk or something that they can do like at home while lying down? You call it. Yep. Okay, let's do at home because it's a little bit easier. I would say lay on your back, like on the floor or on your bed, right? Uh, bend your knees and bring your feet close to your butt. So it's kind of like you're laying on the ground and then your knees are just bent and then that's it, right? Mm -hmm. Take a, a business card, put it between your knees so you don't open your legs. Now, from that position, exhale all of the air out of your body. Like exhale until you cough. You're going to feel your ribcage start to get smaller. You're going to feel your abs light up on the sides of your torso. And you're just going to feel like your ribcage, your body is sinking into the ground. You're not crunching. You're just blowing air out. This may take 15 to 17 seconds. You will feel like you're running out of air before you cough. And then learn how to exhale fully. That oftentimes, like sometimes if you have hiccups and if you can do this just right, that will take care of hiccups, right? Wow. But the whole issue is that you don't, you don't know how to use your abs for the purpose that they were designed. That's, mm -hmm. So it goes to the shallow breathing. You can't worry about the inhale until you dial in your exhale. Mm -hmm. So just exhale fully, get the air out, feel your abs working from the exhale. That's good stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's the exercise you actually ran me through um, yeah. up against a wall, but <laughs> yeah, so it still works. Um, yeah. You didn't have so, you didn't have enough uh, floor real estate for that one. Uh, no, unfortunately, I didn't. I was in a tiny conference room, but uh, you know. <laughs> so, but I would like to highlight that out as well. A lot of what I teach is principles based. So, mm -hmm. the skill of exhaling fully, you can learn how to do that on your back, on your side, on all fours standing, standing with your back against the wall, bent over with your hands on a desk or a chair. Like the principles don't change. It's great. You can do this on your back. Now let's stack skills on top of it. That's why it's my hashtag stacking skills because layers. Nick didn't have a, right. It's layers. Nick didn't have a floor. I'm like, well, I don't care. What do you have? I have a wall. Great. Let's use a wall. Like I, I don't care. Right. The floor <laughs> is easier, but if I'm queuing someone through stuff, I almost don't care what, what, what facilities you have. As long as you have access to gravity, and you can hear me clearly, we're good. So what's what's a big book or piece of media that's had a big influence on you? I mean, I know you showed us that huge yep. textbook. Um, is, is there anything else? There's there's a few ones. So a book book, like something that's not a textbook, uh, a, The General Theory of Love. Mm -hmm. So The General Theory of Love is written by three psychologists, and they talk about how important it is to – for the developing child to have a healthful relationship with their parents. Like mm -hmm. you need both parents in order to like maximize non-sociopathic compensatory tendencies later on. Mm -hmm. Right. But it, it, it goes into a little bit deeper of like why it's so important from a cognitive level and from an emotional support level. And it was one of the reasons why I finally understood, Oh, this is why going to see my psychoanalyst was so important. Like it explained why or how effective therapy works. It mm -hmm. also explains why non-effective therapy doesn't work. 
<laughs> right? So, and it's a, it's, a, it's a short book. Like you can breeze through it in a week, easy. Uh, even if you're like <laughs> inundated with work and pressure. So that's the biggest thing for me that, that was a takeaway. Like, wow, like there's so much to explore with regards to emotions and human movement and the, and the body and mind. If we're going to look at a textbook that I like, that's not that one. Memory by Alan Bedaley. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a, a pier on, on, on the ocean. And the reason why I love that book is like whenever you've had problems teaching someone something, most people don't know how the brain encodes memories. And that's a big deal. Like once you understand how we actually retain information, that will change how you start to speak and communicate with people. Then your language shifts because you're no longer word centric, you're concept driven. Because then words lose meaning. As long as I can get the concept across to you guys, mm-hmm. that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't understand something, we can then refine words and stuff like that. Like I know English. You guys know English, but the three of us have different interpretations of various words, right? So before mm-hmm. we can build on ideas, we got to make sure what are we talking about first. Even though we're using the same language, we got to make sure we're talking about the same things. Yeah, and for so sure. That, that was a big piece or a big takeaway from the memory textbook. Well, especially when you're talking, you know, Manhattan, Denver, D.C., you know. I mean, those yeah. are like three separate languages right there. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So, so when, when people are looking for you, where, where's the best place for them to find you, Joseph? So uh, the easiest place to look for me is honestly on LinkedIn. So if you go to LinkedIn.com slash IN backslash Joseph. F. Gonzalez with a Z. Uh, my website is www.m as in Mary, mejor, E-J-O-R, strength.com. And my Instagram is the same handle, mejor strength. Awesome. awesome. We'll be sure to link all that stuff in the, in the show notes for you and all your contact information so people can get a hold of you. Awesome. Well, this has been great. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. And uh, I feel schooled up. <laughs> I, I just didn't have anything to say i'm like he's just you know it's like just here listening and all <laughs> i'm sitting here thinking i'm like i'm kind of broken all the time <laughs> you ask me you ask me the right question i'll vomit a universe <laughs> hey there's nothing wrong with that you definitely know your stuff and that that's good yeah, that's great. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to be with us today. This has been awesome. Oh, thank you guys. I had a blast. Appreciate it. <laughs> Same.